Good morning, friends. How we doing? Whew, Mike is a little hot. <laughs> I'll try not to scream right away. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we are glad you're here. And uh, we are already at the end of January. Can you believe it? 26th. It's just kind of run right past the holidays and everything going on. Thanks for making time, though, to join us this morning as we continue our series in Acts, Acts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think that's one of the most wonderful things about going through Acts is you get to see firsthand just all of the wonderful ways that the Holy Spirit works in teaching and guiding His church and bringing salvation to situations and places you just wouldn't expect it to go. So we have one of those today. As we jump in, we are continuing with our congregational memory verse, and I'm just going to read through these. We'll kind of get into our pattern again. We'll have the deacons kind of come up and do our scripture reading portion of the sermon. These are just the verses that we as a congregation are looking at together, and we invite you to download those into the memory banks up there. Sometimes it's a little slower process for some than others. That's okay. That's okay. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. What are we about here at the Eugene Church of Christ? I'd like you to remember these verses. We're about making disciples. We're about going out. We're about teaching to obey. That's a process of discipleship, and the Lord is with us in that. We're about loving the Lord our God with everything we got. We come mixed baggage, mixed motives, not feeling very strong sometimes. And this is a, a wonderful time where we encourage one another and remember again that we've been called to a relationship of love with each other, but first of all with our God. So think about what does it mean to love the Lord your God with everything you've got, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then as we looked at the early church, we noticed that there were certain things that they devoted themselves to. And I think as we learn to devote ourselves to these things too, the fruit of what the Holy Spirit can do among us, it will refresh us, it will give us hope, it will give us purpose and direction. So from last week, I want to recall a couple things before we move on in our text. Luke, I think, has been familiarizing us with... Um, 
with disciples who are examples for us to follow. Do you remember some of those examples we've had so far in Luke? I think of Barnabas, who uh, his name is given to him by the apostles, meaning son of encouragement. His example of generosity when he sells that field and he gives the funds, proceeds of that to the apostles' feet. He's an example of generosity. And then we, last week we looked at Stephen, who is an example of faithfulness, even unto death, that uh, they stone him for what the things that he says. And remember, Stephen, he's kind of an ordinary guy. He's not an apostle. He's not a Hebrew of Hebrews. He grew up speaking Greek. He is a guy who's waiting on servant tables, and yet he is filled, he is unique in certain ways. It's because what he fills his life with. So it says in 6.3 that Stephen was known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Philip fits that category as well. Number two, full of faith and the Holy Spirit, full of God's grace and power. He had cultivated certain things in his life that they are a grace he receives from God, and they were also things that he committed himself to. So Stephen makes a defense before the leaders of the Jewish nation, and it's a history lesson of sorts, if you remember. Uh, But it also serves in Luke-Acts as a teaching tool to show us that God's purposes, His presence, uh, and what He is doing, it's always been a lot bigger than just one place and even one people, uh, that God is God of the heavens and the earth. And the presence of God, the promises of God, and the purpose of God, they are what actually makes a place holy, and it's not the other way around. So thematically in Acts, God has always been too great to be contained in one place, and now we see this outbreaking happening. So uh, those who are led by the Holy Spirit they follow the Spirit of God into mission, and the mission, God's mission in the world. And in contrast, we find those who resist the Holy Spirit uh, are, are among these uh, leaders of the Jewish nation. Although they esteem the law, in the end, they find themselves incapable of keeping the law. So the stoning of Stephen then marks a turning point in Acts, where everything has been focused on Jerusalem at this point. And now with the stoning of Stephen, there is an expansion of where the, the people of God are going. So from 8.1 it says this, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So this persecution comes, and uh, People just are going all over the place to avoid the persecution. You remember Jesus' words about going out from Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they have been up to this point, and in all Judea and Samaria, the ripples are getting wider, and then all the way to the ends of the earth. It's interesting that persecution in Jerusalem, which was meant to destroy the church, it ends up being something that God uses to send out missionaries. That's pretty amazing. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. 
But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So very quickly, even while the godly were mourning Stephen, Saul goes from the guy who's holding people's coats, approving of actions taking against Christians, to someone actively harming Christians. He's not just shaking his head yes anymore. He's going after him now. So it appears somehow that witnessing this whole drama with Stephen, that this is the event that moves Saul from being a spectator and turns him into a hunter of Christians. But in all the persecution that takes place, all that is meant to stifle and destroy, all that is meant to harm the church through evil actions of people, through uh, spiritual forces against us. There are unintended consequences, and it's this. Those who had been scattered, they preached the Word wherever they went. What was meant to squelch and contain and squash and destroy It doesn't do that. Instead, there's an explosion that takes place. Opposition and persecution give birth to Christian mission. And the persecution intended to destroy the church ends up growing it more quickly than anyone thought was even possible. Let me say that as long as there have been faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, there's been persecutions against Christians as well. It's interesting, uh, as a former missionary in Africa and uh, someone who's aware a little bit of different works throughout the world, uh, I I pray for Christian brothers and sisters uh, because the purposes of God are a whole lot bigger than just what's happening here in this immediate place. So I was... uh, just found an article I thought I would share with you this morning. Christians see alarming trend worldwide as China builds a blueprint of persecution. Shortly before President Trump signed phase one of the historic trade deal with China, a Chinese pastor described the fear and intimidation believers are enduring under the communist government. The Chinese government has now placed severe restrictions and policies on the house churches asking neighbors to spy on one another, pressuring school teachers and college professors to betray and sign a statement to denounce their own faith, as well as to do the same to students. Pastor Yan Zhu said, then you, he said this, and then you add to this the rise of surveillance technology and strategy by China. Zhu said, uh, Zhu described the Chinese government's alarming actions as Christian persecution has continued to spread around the world. Roughly 100 million Christians have been affected by a blueprint for dictators around the world that China already planned to sell to Iran and other countries. Christians in China have been under constant surveillance, not just on the streets, but also in their churches, which have been torn down, holy books confiscated. China last year sentenced Pastor Wang Yi to nine years in jail for speaking out against the state. 
A couple of points I just want to draw from this. First, I hope you intercede for God's people throughout the world. I hope that you take seriously your responsibility to be praying for God's plans and purposes everywhere that you're aware of. Second, the point I would like to make is, as Christians, most of us who have not suffered persecution, the dangers that we face here in Eugene, Oregon, maybe they may be a little bit different. A lot of us are very well fed, we are complacent, we are very comfortable. We like things done the way we like. We don't like our boats being rocked. For a lot of us, faith is half-hearted because in, in, in a func- as a functional reality, we think of ourselves as doing a pretty good job taking care of our own needs, and we really don't need God for very much. We would never say that. We all know the, the right things to say, but sometimes our actions, they betray a different kind of heart. But whatever the challenges that we face as a disciple of Jesus, whether from persecution or whether from complacency, whatever the dangers are that we face, our hope is still the same. There is a God in heaven. Jesus Christ, He did live. He died and He rose again. There is a Holy Spirit who's still alive and active in this world. And the disciples of Jesus still pray. And just as Luke has shown us these examples of ordinary disciples who God uses in extraordinary ways, like Barnabas and Stephen, now we meet Philip, a regular guy who becomes a missionary. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed so that there was great joy in the city. How happy are the cities where you can find the disciples of Jesus Christ. Philip, if you remember, he was this humble servant of the widow's table, along with Stephen and others that are named. Um, He's doing deacon kind of work. And then this persecution comes, and he's out of there, and he becomes a missionary. And then God honors Philip's faithfulness, and, and Philip grows, and he becomes a miracle worker as well. We read that about Stephen, and now we read that about Philip. So from deacon to missionary to miracle worker. There's a progression that I see there. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted, about, uh, he boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. 
But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. So in the story of Simon, Luke is setting up a contrast between a magic worker, a magic worker of the world or of different powers, and one who works in the power of the Spirit of God. There's a contrast being set up there. And it doesn't say that Simon's sorcery was quackery or it wasn't real, but rather shows that it is of little account when compared to genuine faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. Previously, uh, Simon thought he was pretty big stuff. He liked that the high and low gave him, gave them his, the, gave him their attention, I'm sure, and the title that he took on, the great power. Um, but still, uh, as a practitioner of magic, wielding the greatest magical power in the world, Simon recognizes God's greater power operating in Philip. And uh, this is just an aside. As a missionary, I was, uh, I was blessed to go out to these rural places in Africa and, um, and preach the truth of Jesus Christ. And it put me in conflict with people who practiced magic, mostly um, witch doctors. And uh, I didn't have very good success against witch doctors typically because uh, what they did, uh, there was an economic interest tied to what they were doing. Um, and uh, of course, church uh, supported me to be able to be there and do that work as well. But there were a couple cases that I came across where in preaching the truth of the gospel, these people left this lifestyle behind and what they had seen and experienced working with the spirit world, and they embraced genuine faith in Jesus. And uh, it was a powerful thing sometimes, what God did in those settings to bring faith. So there's a, I, I, I just say all that to point out, there's a real contrast going on here uh, that you get a sense that there is a power struggle taking place. Maybe not as dramatic as Mount Carmel, but faith is coming where faith had not been previously. And people are seeing something amazing and something new through what Philip is doing and the message he's proclaiming. So when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they, may, they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So we're not told in this case what the signs, the sights or the sounds or the feelings are uh, accompanied with the receiving of the Holy Spirit. But apparently, it's amazing enough 
that Simon slips into an old way of thinking and covets the power that he sees at work. And as someone who had used power in, in the past, he, he wants to add this to his toolkit or his repertoire to the point that he even offers money to get this. And Peter and John place their hands... What? Sorry, I got a mix up here in my slides. We're all just uh, a work in progress, aren't we? <laughs> so uh, Peter answered this May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps He will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. So this rebuke is very harsh because the way that Simon reacts in his action, it reveals something about the condition of his heart. You know, and I think the point for us to take away from this is there have always been people who try to use the power of God to accomplish their own selfish and self-serving agendas. We've already seen it, Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Let me just make the point that there's a kind of blindness that is associated specifically, I think, with, with money and power. Uh, where someone would seek to control and use the power of God for selfish means. And this text is just one more sad story of how humanity has been constantly enamored with comfort, security, well-being, happiness, and peace that we think that we can secure for ourselves through our own wealth and power, even using our wealth and leveraging it to use it to gain the power of God. There's a, a corruption in the way we think. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So we have witnessed the goodness of God at work in, in Philip, and the Holy Spirit comes uh, when Peter and John lay their hands on, um, on the Samaritan believers. And then they go, and they just, having witnessed what takes place, they continue on in their mission to other Samaritan villages. So what I think is going on here, let me back up a little bit in these slides. Uh, so I think Acts 2, this is aside, Acts 2.38 is a normative for the way that the Lord works, that uh, a person is baptized and then they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But in Acts, we have some notable exceptions to this. And this is one of those times where they had just been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. So there's an additional laying on of hands, and that's what, that's what Simon the sorcerer witnesses, and that's the power that he wants to buy and purchase. And uh, other times in Acts, we will find that uh, the Holy Spirit comes first, and then baptism. So 
I, I just want to make a point that uh, you always find baptism and the coming of the gift of the Holy Spirit associated with each other. And I don't think we have to be too upset which order things happen there. But those things are always tied together, and that's significant. But I think we need to take, like, Acts 2.38 as a normal, normative pattern for uh, the church. Well, anyway, this mission goes on, and it goes from village to village. But we find out that Philip, this ideal missionary who's put before us, his work is not yet done. He still has more things that he needs to do. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met the, an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth, from the earth. Do you think it was a coincidence that this is what this Ethiopian official happened to be reading at that exact time? You see, Philip, he didn't question why in the world would I go out in the middle of nowhere onto this desert road? He just obeyed and did it. And when he gets there, he finds that the Holy Spirit had already been at work in this man's heart. The circumstances don't miss that they were just perfect for what is about to take place. So we have angels giving instructions. And then it says the Holy Spirit telling him things. Go stand by this chariot. And we have a disciple who listens and is obedient. So Luke is just showing this kind of perfect convergence of the forces of the kingdom of God at work together. This synergistic relationship to accomplish God's purposes. And he's also at work, the Holy Spirit, ahead of Philip with this text that this man was reading and preparing people's hearts. <coughs> people of peace who have searching hearts. Those people are everywhere. They're, they're in China. They're here in Eugene, Oregon. Some of them are going to come into their church building. Some of them we need to go out and get. There are people who are sincerely looking for answers and how to live their life. 
And as a disciple of Christ, we're called to be responding to that call, to be ready with a message that we can share with them. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So from persecution, disciples of Jesus they spread throughout Judea and Samaria. And as they preach along the way, they discovered that the Holy Spirit has already been very busy. And they get to join Him in the work that He's doing. So, some main points I want us to take away from the lesson today. From Acts chapter 8, three things. Maybe I'm only supposed to do one or two, but I did three today, so... The world may throw its very worst at you. And some of us face some hard things. The world may throw its very worst at you, but in the end, it is the purposes of God that will prevail. I hope this gives you hope. Number two, the Samaritans were an excluded ethnic group. The Ethiopian eunuch was from a different race, being of African heritage. And as someone who had been castrated, he would not have been allowed to be a proselyte or fully included in Judaism. So now we see the Holy Spirit working through persecution, going to places. I don't think that they thought, this is where our, our next target is, this is where we need to go. They just were faithful as they went out and were led and shared everywhere that they went. And I think we're also seeing a progression here in the early church that this young church is discovering the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. And I think a third takeaway that I see from this whole narrative about Philip from Acts 8, if you want to see the Holy Spirit of, at work, at work in your life and work of lives around you, get involved in God's mission. Don't just be a spectator. Don't just be satisfied to listen to people tell you stories about this, that, or the other. Get some skin in the game. You will discover how active your Lord is in people's lives. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So now even, it's an amazing story. Not only is the Holy Spirit and angels telling him stuff, there's miraculous signs and being wondered. We even find the Holy Spirit here moving the pieces around on the chessboard. 
and takes Philip from this situation where he was, and he just appears again in these other places, coastal towns on their way up north. Caesarea was kind of a, a seat of Roman power. That's where the inscriptions were found about Pilate. And, uh, it was a major Hel- Hellenized city that was, uh, Roman legions were stationed there, that things went out from there. And this is where God plants Philip then. And we find out that he's still there 20 years later, working out from that place as God's missionary. And and notice, too, the different kind of contrast in the stories. This will be my final point. You know, Philip, when he goes out, first, he's preaching to this big group of people in Samaria. It's, It's like a public proclamation. And the church grows from that. God uses that. And then he goes from that setting to this one-on-one Bible study, riding along in this chariot, going down the road. And so God, I think, he uses all of those means in all of those places. And I think Luke is describing for us, hey, whatever the circumstances are, when you're faithful to the Lord, He'll use you as His missionary. And uh, I don't know how these words strike you today. I hope that that's an encouragement, though, uh, from what the Lord does in Acts chapter 8 here with Philip. So whatever needs that you have, I don't know how you come to this place. You know, we're, we're, we're busy, we're scrambling. I, I'm not always the ideal disciple of Jesus that I long to be. And I come and I realize there are things in my life that I would like to be different. And I'm a mess in some ways. But God is bigger than my mess. And so these stories that we read in Acts of ideal disciples like Barnabas and his generosity, Stephen and his boldness that he would even die for his faith, and Philip's willingness to be used as a missionary. I read these stories, and I have hope for us as a church today. I hope you don't miss that, that we are invited into that legacy as well. So however these words they strike you this morning. You have an opportunity to respond and come forward while we stand and sing together.